Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist and self-growth coach for women in helping professions. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology and self-growth. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. So let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, thank you for joining me for today's episode of Psych Talk. So today I'm going to be talking about the impact of coronavirus on mental health. So if you are listening to this in real time, I am recording and publishing this episode in mid-September 2020. So the first cases um, that were known of COVID-19 in the United States arrived in January 2020. And the first known death linked to the coronavirus in the USA occurred in February 2020. On March 13th of this year, the current administration declared a national emergency. And just four days later, on March 17th, COVID-19 cases were confirmed in all 50 states. So this means we have been dealing with COVID-19 for over six months at a widespread national level. For six months, our lives have been drastically changed, uh, whether through mask wearing, job loss, virtual learning and or teaching, working remotely or switching to telehealth, not being able to visit with family and friends, uh, venturing to doctor's appointments or being hospitalized alone. Whatever it is, 2020 has brought a lot of disruption to our lives. And I am not sure when, if ever, we will get back to normal, whatever that means, but our pre-COVID normal. But what I want to talk about today is the impact of COVID-19 on mental health. Whether to a clinically significant level or not, all of our mental health has been impacted by the pandemic. Additionally, since we have been been enduring the pandemic for half a year now, there is finally scientific research published on the impact of COVID-19 and mental health. So not only do we have personal accounts and experiences and clinical knowledge for those of us um, who are therapists, but actual data showing us how this virus has impacted our emotional and mental well-being and is continuing to impact our mental and emotional well-being. So before I get into some of the research that we do have, I want to talk about some of the stats I came across from May, when we were only three months into the pandemic. So according to a Kaiser Family Foundation poll, 45% of adults in the United States said that the pandemic had affected their mental health, with 19% reporting it had a quote-unquote major impact. A federal emergency hotline for people in emotional distress saw more than a 1,000% increase in April 2020 compared to April 2019. In April 2020, about 20,000 people texted a hotline run by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. And Talkspace, which is an online therapy company, reported a 65% increase in clients from mid-February to May. 
with coronavirus-related anxiety being the primary concern people were seeking counseling for. So those were just some stats um, that we got from surveys back in May, and it's now September, so we're three more months into it. So now I want to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on mental health. So even before COVID-19, research from natural disasters, terrorist attacks, economic crises, etc., shows that there are increases in suicides, overdose deaths, and substance abuse disorder when going through something that impactful at a nationwide level. We even saw, if you um, have not turned off your news and for the past six months and have been following everything going on with COVID-19, the suicides of two New York healthcare workers during the pandemic, which highlights the risk of increased mental health concerns. So for people without mental illness, a pandemic like COVID-19 can induce psychiatric symptoms. And for those with pre-existing mental illness, their conditions can be exacerbated. So healthcare workers are particularly at risk for increased mental health concerns, which we have documented um, and seen both in past viral outbreaks as well as the current pandemic with the research that we do have. So from the studies that have been published thus far, we have seen an increase in psychological problems during the pandemic, including anxiety, depression, and stress, as well as symptoms of PTSD, panic attacks, and suicide, which I already mentioned. There have also been increased reports of insomnia, denial, anger, and fear, with the last three not being a clinical diagnosis, but still obviously something that is negatively going to impact our mental health. For those who have lost someone to the pandemic, they are dealing with grief, but there also may be this additional sense of lack of closure, Um, whether it's because the death was so sudden or because, unfortunately, in most hospitals around our nation, um, especially adults that are hospitalized, are there alone. And this resentment can lead to anger, or this lack of closure can lead to resentment and anger. Um, Long periods of quarantine are associated with increased PTSD prevalence and depressive symptoms. And the thing with any mental health crisis or mental health disorder is that it affects so many aspects of our lives. So it's not like you get diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or diagnosed with a depressive disorder and it's in a little, a little silo. It impacts every area of your life. So like increased mental health concerns can affect things like attention, um, understanding of things, decision-making, and if you're thinking about the fact that a couple minutes ago I said healthcare workers are at increased risk for mental health concern, you know, you want a healthcare worker that can pay attention and make decisions quickly, especially during a pandemic, as well as impacting our overall quality of life. So I just went through a number of um, ways that research has shown that um, our mental health is being affected, ways in the sense of like, certain diagnoses or um, mental health-related outcomes. But now I want to talk about why COVID-19 is impacting our mental health because there are so many contributing factors. It's not just we're in a pandemic. There's so many aspects about the pandemic that negatively impact our mental health. So the first is just fear and uncertainty. 
So due to the novelty of this virus, the initial responses of many people were extreme fear and uncertainty. This in turn causes negative societal behaviors that are often driven by fear and distorted perceptions of risk. So like, does anybody, and this seems so long ago, but remember when we ran out of toilet paper back in March, like that was a fear and panic response um, and really made no sense in the sense of like, why are we hoarding toilet paper? I understand like the fear around, you know, if I'm stuck in my house, I need toilet paper and things like that. But that was a panic response. So these experiences of fear and uncertainty may include distress reactions. So things like poor sleep or insomnia, anger, extreme fear of illness, even if you're healthy, um, engaging in health risk behaviors. So if you're scared and uncertain about what's going to happen, you might increase your use of substance. You might isolate even further. I know that we were quarantined, but like social isolation to an extreme. Um, obviously mental health disorders, which I've already touched on lower perception of health, even in healthy individuals. So one thing that has been said since the beginning of this pandemic is elderly adults and those who are, who are immunocompromised are at higher risk of contracting the virus, just like it is with any virus. Um, but because it's a pandemic, even those of us that don't have pre-existing conditions or are generally healthy, healthy may perceive that we are at higher risk than we actually are just because of the fear and uncertainty and unknown of the pandemic. Another huge contributing factor to our uh, poorer mental health is the economic devastation. So research has well established a link between economically struggling, so like for example, um, loss of a job, sudden loss of a job, um, or obviously on a broader scale, like the Great Depression, um, with suicide and substance use. So a study of the Great Recession that began in late 2007 found that for every percentage point increase of unemployment rate, there was about a 1.6% increase in suicide rate. We know that unemployment rate um, during the pandemic has been super high. People are not getting their unemployment benefits. Small businesses have to close everything. Like there's been so much economic devastation that that is going to impact our mental health. Even if somebody is not to the point of um, having thoughts of suicide or making an attempt, it's still going to negatively impact our mental health, increasing stress, depression, anxiety, all of those things. For healthcare workers specifically, we see um, their mental health impacted from burnout. So we know that doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers are acutely prone to burnout um, due to workload, pressure, chaos, dysfunctional healthcare system. The list could go on and on. But that's without a pandemic. So a pandemic adds even more stress. We have the overcrowded hospitals. Um, we had the PPE shortages at the beginning, medication shortages, working long hours, etc. Like I um, always said at the beginning of this pandemic, as a psychologist, my hours and caseload actually increased. Um, even though on the inpatient side, the numbers decreased, on the outpatient side, it increased because of everything with this mental health concerns and anxiety and fear. 
Um, and so I just imagine how hours have increased for the healthcare workers on the front lines. A study of um, 1,257 doctors and nurses in China um, during the COVID-19 pandemic found that 50% reported symptoms of depression, 45% reported symptoms of anxiety, and 34% reported symptoms of insomnia, as well as 72% reporting general distress. Additionally, I want to note that burnout in turn affects the quality of care that providers provide to patients. So if you are in the hospital and your doctor or your nurse or your mental health provider is extremely burnt out, that is going to impact the quality of care you're getting, which in turn might negatively impact your mental health as well, as well as your physical health. Um, Some other reasons that our mental health has deteriorated during the pandemic. So feeling a loss of control. Many, if not all of us, have experienced feelings of loss of control over ourselves, our work, our daily routine, our health, our kids, etc. And this lack of control can increase mental health concerns, specifically anxiety. There's also the health consequences of the virus. So one thing, and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, mental health and physical health are so intertwined. But the virus is novel. And therefore, the impact of such, although we are now gaining a better understanding, is unknown. People are dying. People are getting ill, which death and illness alone can relate to increased mental health concern. But also the anxiety surrounding yourself or a loved one contracting the virus, contracting the virus yourself, even if you don't have to be hospitalized, and just living with the health consequences of that and increased stress about having to be out of work if you were lucky enough to be able to work during the pandemic. I mean, it's a cycle. You all get what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, health consequences of the virus, both physical but also mental. Isolation. So, due to quarantine, many of us have been isolated. We know from research that um, social connectedness is so important for positive mental health outcomes. Um, there is also isolation on the medical side, though, for both patients and providers. So many providers, uh, especially those on the front lines, did not go home to see their kids, to see their partner, spouse, dogs, whoever. Um, particularly, like I said, those working on the front lines due to fear of passing along the virus. Um, additionally, patients in the hospital, whether for COVID or another reasons, were often and still are left alone as visitors have been put in place. So not only is everybody quarantined and just on a societal level, we can all relate to not having the social interaction that we're used to. And we know social interaction is so beneficial for mental health. You add another layer if you are a healthcare worker or in the hospital for any reason. Um, There's also stigmatization and discrimination. Um, So both during this pandemic, but also research from other public health crises indicate that individuals who contract COVID-19 or in the past, if I'm looking at past research like SARS, Ebola, et cetera, face increased anxiety due to fear of discrimination, fear of stigmatization for contracting the virus. Then the experience of being blamed, shamed, or discriminated against can increase mental health concerns, cause increased isolation, which in turn therefore increases mental health concerns like I just shared. We also have the media. (laughs) So 
media reporting, although I feel like it has lessened, but that could also be, be just me not watching the news as much. Um, but media, when you turn on the TV, especially in March, April, May, you are flooded with information about COVID-19. When you look at social media, you are flooded with information about COVID-19. We are constantly told the death rates. We are told the rates of positive cases. And the media reporting, as we should all know, is selective and biased in both what they report and how they report. So constant exposure to the media can heighten our stress, anxiety, and depression levels based on the constant exposure alone, but obviously that's going to instill fear, anxiety, panic, etc. And you also just can't escape it. So if that is all you're consuming, that's where all your attention and focus is on, that's what you're thinking about all the time, and that's going to stress you out. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on as a contributing factor to why our mental health has gotten so bad um, as a nation and actually across the world, is racism and prejudice. So we know that COVID-19 originated in Wuhan, China. Because of this, many Asian people have experienced blame, stigma, racism, and prejudice. And I say Asian people because it's not just exclusively to those who are Chinese or from China. Um... On a personal note, I have seen this with individuals who do my nails. So prior to our state of South Carolina shutting down, um, they would get cancellations and they would face hate and prejudice when out in stores because people would assume that they had COVID-19 or were infected with COVID-19 or brought COVID-19 over there, over to the U.S. Of note, they are not Chinese or from China. Um, but that could be a whole nother discussion on our biases and prejudice. Um, and I did a whole episode on racism and mental health, but facing prejudice like this or fear of prejudice can also increase mental health concerns. So I also wanted to touch on the limits with mental health care, um, during the pandemic. So we know mental health care is underfunded anyways in our country and that um, there needs to be an overhaul of the system. But outside of that, um, with the trillions of dollars Congress passed in the emergency coronavirus funding, only a small portion was allocated for mental health. I am not in private practice. I work for a hospital, but I know many of my colleagues in private practice struggled to bring their practice online due to a number of barriers. So licensing restrictions. So for those of you um, who are not aware, so, um, and it varies by state, and so don't quote me on this, but to provide telehealth services, there were certain, if you weren't licensed um, prior to the pandemic, like if you were still an intern or you're working towards licensure and practice under somebody else, there were rules and regulations in place that you could not provide telehealth. Um, some insurance companies, you would have to be like assigned as a telehealth provider. So you can't just like turn your practice into telehealth. You would have to get um, specifically credentialed as a telehealth provider. Um, there were also concerns about reimbursement. Um, and I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but some insurance companies would reimburse lower than they would for face-to-face. And I know I have talked to some of my colleagues in private practice who patients did not want to pay 
um, the full fee if they were out of pocket for telehealth um, services um, compared to what they paid for face-to-face just because it was different. Um, Learning and getting into a new system. So there's a bunch of technical issues, learning curves, things like that. And patients not feeling comfortable with telehealth. So I know a lot of people just stopped seeing their therapist because one, we thought the pandemic would probably not be still going on six months from now, but they didn't feel comfortable with doing it um, over video. Due to isolation restrictions too, many people cannot access the mental health care they previously did. So say even if their therapist transitioned to telehealth, there are a number of barriers to doing that. So like if you don't have internet access at home or maybe you only have one computer for your entire family and you have three kids at home doing schoolwork and having to share the computer, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. Um, if you live in a rural area and signal's not good, things like that. Um, and lack of privacy during sessions. That's one of my um, biggest complaints or concerns from the teens I work with that they don't get the same privacy at home as they do when they come into the office. Additionally, community mental health centers, which treat a lot of high-risk populations, are struggling to stay open financially and have begun to close programs. So one survey of mental health and drug addiction centers indicated that over 60% of those surveyed said they would run out of funding in less than three months and had already closed some programs. So I just pretty much painted a really grim picture of mental health and the impact of COVID-19 on mental health. So I want to end on a positive note and talk about how to cope with COVID-19. If you feel like your mental health is struggling or somebody you know or a loved one or your kids, etc. So I could talk about the systemic changes that need to go in place, um, better health care, preventative screenings, increased access, having mental health teams in ERs, things like that. Um, and if you want to make a change on a systemic level, I would encourage you to do so. However, for the purpose of this episode, I'm going to talk about what you can do for your own mental health during the pandemic. Um, I think... I like to have takeaways in my episodes that people can do and feel are tangible. And I feel that at the individual level, um, that's a good place to start. So one good thing that has potentially come out of COVID-19, specifically with regard to mental health care, is the push for telemedicine. So although it was a large adjustment for all of us in the mental health field, and many people do not like it as much as they do in person, and I can't speak for all people because there's some people that really love it. It does provide people access to therapy that previously were not able to access it. Um, And I think it has shown insurance companies and the mental health care system as a whole, like how much more reach we have by doing it um, via telemedicine. So as mental health providers, although I can't speak for everyone, obviously, the hope is that telemedicine will push mental health reforms in the years to come. 
um, that providers will be reimbursed similarly as they are for in-person. It will be here to stay so that people can continue to access therapy when they previously weren't able to do so. I know one thing um, that a lot of people have said to me is like the convenience of not having to drive. So I see people from um, all over the upstate of South Carolina. So some people do drive 45 minutes an hour to see me and working with teens a lot of times that means parents have to take off work, coordinate schedules and things like that. And telemedicine, especially during um, the pandemic when everybody was like home, anyways, it just gave them that freedom to kind of take control of their own schedule, schedule when it was convenient for them, not have to worry about getting a ride to therapy, not carving out three hours of their time if they're driving for 45 minutes, have an hour session, another 45 minutes, leaving wiggle room for traffic, things like that. Um, And so I think that's a benefit, but like I said, not everybody likes it. Another good thing, um, and this is something I've talked about with a lot of different people recently, kind of going off of that, like driving for an hour thing, is so we cannot practice telemedicine across state lines unless you are licensed in the other state or if there was some um, basically like, lift on that restriction, um, due to coronavirus, which a few States did do that. So I know like, for example, like if you're in the Northern Virginia area, so you have Northern Virginia, DC and Maryland, um, I believe you can practice across state lines, but like me being in South Carolina, I have patients in North Carolina and Georgia, and they would have to physically be in South Carolina for me to see them even with telehealth. But What that does mean is if you are in whatever state you are in and say you couldn't find a provider in your area that you liked or didn't specialize in what you needed, if you are okay with telehealth, you can find a provider anywhere in that state to provide you therapy. So, you know, I'm in um, the upstate of South Carolina and I'm not, I'm just using myself as an example because I only work within the hospital system, but Say I was in private practice in upstate of South Carolina, and since some of my specialties are LGBTQ-related health as well as chronic illness, if somebody in Charleston, for example, wanted to see me via telehealth, I would be able to do that because they were in the same state, and we could do it via telemedicine, and they wouldn't have to drive four hours to see me. So... If you have been struggling with your mental health during COVID-19, and I know some people are going back to -to face-to-face, but especially if you're willing to do um, telehealth, um, go to www.psychologytoday.com or www.openpathcollective.com, and you can find some providers in your area. I mentioned some of these next things in my coping with anxiety episode, which was episode 15. So if you want more tips on anxiety in particular, give that a listen. And I'm also going into more detail there. But to recap, some of the ways that you can cope with mental health concerns related to COVID and keeping as much of a routine as possible. I know there's a lot of disruption, but if you can keep a routine, that's going to help reduce your anxiety. Recognize your anxiety, your depression, your stress, and validate your experiences. Limit your news consumption. Focus on the aspects of this pandemic that you can control. And engage in empowering self-talk while challenging unhelpful self-talk. And that's something, going back to what I was just talking about with finding a therapist, that the therapist can guide you and teach you how to do. 
Other ways to cope, engage in relaxation strategies to calm yourself, such as deep breathing or mindfulness. Um, Keep as much social connectedness as possible. And I know it's a little easier now because restrictions are lifted. Obviously be safe, but, you know, talking with family and friends via FaceTime, Zoom, things like that. Um, Scheduling, if it's nice where you are, like a socially distanced date with a friend outside at a coffee shop or at a park, things like that. You can also go on online platforms. So there's like things like Talkspace and BetterHelp. I have never used them. I don't work for them, so I can't really speak to them. But those are online platforms um, that you can utilize for mental health care. There's peer support groups online, such as Seven Cups of Tea. There are always crisis hotlines and text lines, the suicide hotline, the text line. Um, I know I don't just have listeners from the United States, so you can Google your crisis line, text line, um, and see what the number is for your specific area. There's resources like Mental Health America and NAMI, which are nonprofits, and they have resources and online support groups that you can um, utilize. You can also listen to podcasts like this one, um, watch TED Talks on YouTube, attend support groups, self-help groups. All of these are resources that can help you deal with whatever mental health concern you're experiencing right now, whether it's COVID-19 specific or not. You can um, look at self-help books, all those types of things. And in the show notes, I'm also going to include a link to Healthline, and they have gathered a number of resources to help individuals with their mental health during the coronavirus. So I know I covered a lot um, I honestly thought about doing this episode like really on early on into the pandemic um, and didn't because we didn't really have data and I was just going to be talking broadly. But now that it's been six months and I know that a lot of people are struggling, I felt like it was appropriate. So I hope that you got something out of this episode. Um, I am going to link not only the Healthline resource I said, but some of the um, references and published articles that I got my information from if anybody is interested, but thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. And just remember to take care of yourself, your physical health, your mental health, spiritual health, everything. And I hope you join me for the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.